Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, episode 17, and I am your host, Demetrius Malbro. And today on Data Protection Gumbo, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Poldy, Director of Global Business Continuity Management with IBM, and he manages IBM's business continuity and resiliency programs. Welcome to the Gumbo, Michael. Thank you, Demetrius. Glad to be here. Sure. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the first question. So what is business continuity management and how does it relate to the world of resiliency, including backup and recovery? Well, business continuity management, I guess the best way to look at it is it's the umbrella that kind of encompasses everything that you want to do in the resiliency world. Effectively, business continuity management provides the client or company with the concept of understanding really what are the risks that the company needs to mitigate against and then building in resiliency and backup programs to uh, as well as recovery programs to help uh, uh, build around those plans. Okay. So some clients start from, from scratch, I guess, while other clients have maybe a more mature program. So how do clients take it to the next level, and where does the concept of recovery time objective, or RTO, and recovery point objective, or RPO, and managing risk fit into the equation? Well, it's, it's, I like to say it's an always-on world. I mean, companies today are pushing more and more for a total, total availability. Um, you know, many clients today have have a various form of a recovery program in place. Um, they're either, either using some sort of tape backup or they're moving to a disk-to-disk type backup system, um, or, or they're going to, to the cloud, a more virtual right. disk-to-disk type technology. Um, now, of course, if you look back 10 years ago, you know, many companies just, if they just had a backup program in place, that was great. And, and they would back up their data once a day. So they'd have a recovery point of maybe 24 hours. Okay. And, and then they would go to a second site or a recovery location, such as IBM or SunGuard or, or a local provider. And it would usually take them one to two or three days to bring their systems up. So they would have yeah. a recovery time of, of maybe 72 hours. I do remember those days, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I do too. Many, many, many long nights in, uh, in strange locations eating pizza. Yes. Um, but, re- but more and more clients say are looking for recovery points closer to zero, especially if they're in a trend, very heavy transactional type type of business, like a financial business or maybe a, a, a internet retail type business. Okay. So they want recovery points very, very close to zero. They don't want to lose any transactions. And then the same thing for recovery time. Um, you know, many companies can't afford a recovery time of, of zero, essentially requiring redundancy of everything. But how close to zero can a company get? So in other words, I want to get a, I only can afford to be down maybe two hours. And that's something that my, um, that, that my clients and my company can, can stand. Um, so, so really, that's really the concept of, of is a client moves or a company moves more to a mature type program, 
Um, you know, they're looking to continue to refine their recovery points and recovery time objectives so it really maximizes their availability in the, uh, in the marketplace that they're in. Okay, great. So I'm guessing clients can either do it themselves or talk to a services company uh, such as IBM to help. And so how does that work? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, it used to be again, you know, you know, when I look back, you know, 20 years ago when I was, uh, in the banking industry, um, we, we provided, we performed a certain amount of electronic vaulting. We had a very nice backup strategy, but we also leveraged a third party company to help us with our recovery strategies. Today, we see more and more companies really doing it themselves. Um, now, okay. in, in some cases, we see companies doing a great job, and in other cases, we see companies that, that aren't always doing such a great job. Um, you know, it's really, it's really a point of, uh, you know, how far in terms of uh, the master's program do you want to be? We call it the masters of disaster. Okay. How can the organization really be an expert at what they're doing? Um, and, and so, you know, we've, we've, we've looked at essentially a, a number of ways that companies can go ahead and really improve their recovery strategies, uh, getting their board involved, establishing strategic and integrating approaches, um, benchmarking, and, and then, of course, collaborating with not just people inside the company, but, but external, uh, external service companies. Okay, good, great. So you, you, you mentioned cloud a little bit there. So, from from an industry point of view, cloud must be playing a, a big role here, I assume. And almost from an industry disruption point of view, pretty much. So is everyone just moving to cloud? Well, I mean, we've in in the last uh, in the last few months, we conducted a survey of 310 business continuity and disaster recovery professionals um, across 19 industries, and, and this is a North America statement. Okay. And we interviewed primarily directors of IT and CIOs. And, and it seems like around 25% right now are employing cloud for disaster recovery or disaster recovery as a service. Um, you know, the challenge, of course, is, you know, everyone thinks cloud is, you know, it's the cheapest way to go and it's, and it's very easy and, and all these great things. Well, the, the reality is it's, it's, not, it's not always that easy. It's not, oh, yeah. it's not that turnkey solution that everyone dreams of. Um, many cloud solutions do, do not support mainframes, for example. Mm -hmm. okay. um, some cloud providers, they're not actually taking a backup of, of their infrastructure. So if you're using cloud for your disaster recovery solution or your primary solution, you, know, you need to make sure that your cloud provider is doing some sort of backup or has the infrastructure in place to support you at time of disaster. And then, of course, there's the whole concept of service levels. You know, if you do have a disaster, you know, does your cloud provider give you the infrastructure and the service levels you need in order to uh, to respond and recover your environment? Um, because at the end of the day, the reality is you you don't really want to check from your from your cloud provider. You want them to be available and to be on and operating at uh, at time of disaster or time of outage, so you can recover your business. Right, and that's that's exactly what the cloud is for: agility, to be agile. Right? Exactly, exactly. And, uh, I'm, and, and I'm, but you got to do your homework. I mean, just because a a company promotes a cloud type infrastructure doesn't necessarily mean they provide all the 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 finer points and the foundation needed to to really be there when you fail. 
Okay, and, and I'm not sure if you if you answered this in, in your last response or not, but I, I really wanted to know, I guess, why shouldn't, you know, everyone move to cloud, especially when the cost associated with it is uh, is, is getting lower by the day? Well, I, I think it's not that you shouldn't move to cloud. I think it's really, it's uh, it's it's be cautious and make sure that you are comfortable with where you are headed. Um, I okay. mean, you know, if you look at some statistics, I mean, 80% of new applications today are distributed or deployed through the cloud. Uh, over a third of consumer data is stored and accessed in the cloud. Um, you know, so so many, many companies are, are moving to the cloud, and, and we, we promote a number of cloud service solutions, a number of cloud disaster recovery solutions as well. So, um, I mean, it's definitely the wave of the future, and, and quite frankly, the wave is now. But but ask the right questions. Okay. So, yeah, cloud, cloud is definitely huge, and, you know, IBM, I, I noticed that there were several acquisitions around uh, cloud over the last uh, six six months to a year, so that that's definitely a huge market for for all large organizations. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about big data, the big the big man in the house, big data, right? So how does um, big data impact a client's infrastructure and business continuity plans? Well, you know, it's an interesting point. I mean. You know, the business needs to make a conscientious decision within the context of really, you know, what's important. You know, what, how, how important is that data? You know, what's throwaway? What's needed for long-term purposes? Um, you know, what business processes and activities would be affected? I mean, different lines of business would have different responses as it relates to big data. But I think this is a, probably a good point to bring up the concept of, of risk versus budget. Okay. Um, you know, think of it like a, like a seesaw. If if I have no budget to spend on disaster recovery or business continuity, then I'm going to have a lot of risk. But as I add budget, you know that risk that risk drops, and and so that's that's the whole concept here is really you know how much how much risk can I afford to take? I mean you know let's face it you know lack of protection and recovery capabilities could jeopardize big data implementations. So you know what happens? If a company needs to recreate all that historical data, how much would that cost? I mean, what kind of yeah. outage or what kind of impact would a client see? So it's again, it's it's the risk versus budget equation. Okay, I, I like that risk versus budget. And so the first thing I think about is capex and opex, um, which which is a, a huge one as well. That you know customers are really trying to save on their cap capital expenditures and operational expenditures as well. So now that we've gotten uh, big data out of the way, let's let's go ahead and talk a little bit about IoT or the Internet of Things, right? Right. And you know we're seeing data recording sensors. You know they're popping up everywhere. I mean, you know, in the house, you know, in your car, um, roadways, and you know, even even individuals are are actually wearing them, right? So how are businesses dealing with this continued growth? In data from a backup and resiliency point of view. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, here, here's like one of my favorite fun facts. I mean, six billion people have cell phones, um, and I'll bet you uh, wow. probably only a small percentage of those six billion people are actually backing up those phones. Um, you know, modern cars—they they have close to a hundred sensors in them. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way I look at it is really there's two issues here. There's the resiliency of all these sensors and, you know, as you mentioned, wearables and other 
data producing gadgets and and how does a business or an individual protect all this data right you know again it's um, you know depending on who is interested in this data is going to determine i think the point of view of really what's uh you know what's important for the for the the data to be backed up or preserved versus what uh what's going to be considered throwaway i mean here's here's a couple of interesting things you know I, I was thinking about last night as as we were preparing for for this discussion um, you know I think really quite frankly many companies are just really scratching the surface on on really how to handle this data and and yeah. I think there's a data privacy issue as well um, you know I'll give you an example you know I like I've got a Fitbit and I like the mm-hmm. idea of my workout data for my Fitbit. It's synced to my phone. It's backed up to my personal computer or right. in my phone cloud backup. But I'm not sure I want my data sent to the Fitbit company for their use. I'm How they want to, you know, you know, wh- you know, what kind of data analytics they want to take out of it. Right, right. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But, but you know, and also too, it's like, is it important enough to them that they would want to back it up? Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand. Um, let's look at this year's Consumer Electronics Show. You know, one of the interesting announcements was IBM and Under Armour um, announced that Under Armour is going to use cognitive computing um, where they're going to compare my data to other people in my peer group. And IBM's cognitive business, Watson, is going to help me with my workout training plan and could potentially be my health and fitness consultant. Now, now here's where it ties in. You know, in that situation, I can see, you know, it being impacting to me personally if my personal coach wasn't available because the data wasn't available. So, so what happens if Watson lost my data or I had to start over? You know, you know that that'd be kind of frustrating. So, I think there's a there's a whole new opportunity. You know, with with the Internet of Things. Trying to figure out really what's the right data to back up, you know, who is it important to? Can I create it, recreate it, and and then uh, and then of course, you know, the the storage and the business process associated with that. I mean, you think about it. I mean, two point three trillion gigabytes of data is created every day. Yeah. Wow. That, um, that, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, it's, yeah. Exactly. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> Definitely a lot of zeros. So yeah, you, you you actually touched on something that you know I've I've been following as well, and I, I've noticed that IBM is spending a lot of time focused on the concept of cognitive computing, you know, based on you know the Watson technology, and this is the same Watson that that um, we saw defeat a few Jeopardy champions back in 2011, I think exactly. so, right? Okay. Exactly. So is is there a place for cognitive computing in backup and recovery? Absolutely. Um, I I think it's. Uh I think it's again. I think the if you look at the what cognitive can provide. Um, I mean, there's a number of obvious things. I mean, one one of my favorite obvious cognitive computing application that hopefully we see in the near future is really just the whole concept of being able to predict failure and and to avoid it. I mean, imagine that Watson automatically. Um, analyzes weather weather patterns um, and it can right. automatically trigger proactive measures such as systems or network failovers or or even validating uh, that backups are current and that the recovery point is going to be low so in other words it can predict here the probability of this type of of weather element it could potentially produce a electric outage uh, 
crank up your UPS and your external generators and begin to make sure that your failover is operating and, if necessary, move your network. I mean, all that could be happened all automatically. And, and that's, that's a really significant advancement that's provided by cognitive computing that we don't have today because in many cases you have a lot of people making that decision of do I, do I push the red button and, and move everything. Okay, great. Yeah, and, and, and I guess as you were, you were speaking there, I kind of thought about the, uh, jet, jet blue power outage that happened a while ago and maybe, you know, if we can get Watson up to speed and teach it, you know, and give it enough of that weather information, we can, you know, probably see if we can get a resolution for, you know, a company such as uh, JetBlue, you know, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So we, we're kind of running up against the clock here a little bit. And um, I guess the final question that I would like to ask you, Michael, is that so you mentioned your Fitbit and, and, and backing backing that data up. So what about the, the concept of a personal business continuity plan? Do you have one? Um, I do have one. In fact, it's funny that you you mentioned that too. Really? Okay. That that's um, that's actually one of my uh, one of one of my big big push buttons these days is is getting people to have a personal business continuity plan. Um, I mean, you think about it. You you've got just you look at your particular workstation and and maybe from a personal point of view. I mean, you collect music. Um, I mean, I'm a big collector of music. I have um, tens of thousands of the songs. Okay. And, and I would really hate to lose all that music. Um, so I, uh, I back up my, uh, my data into the cloud. I've got a, uh, I've got a secondary local backup on a, uh, on a one terabyte hard drive. And, um, and then I also have a, a small little, uh, procedure written where I know the, the key applications that are on my desktop as well as the applications that are on my phone. Okay. And, um, and occasionally I think through, okay, if I have to recover my uh, my platform, do I know where all my passwords are? Is it easy for me to access them? And if I'm on the road, you know, what what are the key applications that I need that I can operate on until I get back home? Well, well, I, I must say that I do not have a personal business continuity plan, so I, I'm, I may be uh, reaching out to you to uh, help me with mine. <laughs> Happy to help. All right. Well, we're we're just about out of time here, Michael. I really appreciate you uh, coming on Data Protection Gumbo. We have learned a lot, and uh, I am definitely uh, definitely looking forward to the next and and best things that are coming out um, from IBM. And um, if there's anything else, I would like to uh, thank you for being on the show, and you enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you very much, Demetrius. You too. All right. I want to thank you for listening. I welcome your feedback on iTunes and ask that you provide a rating and share with your peers. Please follow me on Twitter at dmalbro and connect with me on LinkedIn. Together we will be able to add to the innovation of storing data more efficiently and smarter. Have a great week.